Welcome back to season two of Polyphony. We've had a, a little bit of a hiatus since our last season, and we're so glad to be back. This episode, we'll be talking about a pandemic update, and our panelists this evening are Blair Brown, who is a BHS board member at large and also sings lead on the quartet double date. Amy Engelart, who is for many years, Amy Bob from the Bobs. She's also a singer, songwriter, lyricist, and playwright and works out of LA and New York. And Catherine Gervin we have, who is director and has worked in middle school and high school acapella in her acapella tenure. And lastly, we have Matthew Price, who is part of Townsend's Untitled and also started Inside Voices. And now our host for the evening, here's Aaron. Thanks so much, Rachel. Uh, I appreciate everybody joining us today. And Amy, I'd love to start with you if I could. Talk about where you are right now. And I don't mean sort of physically, but I mean, it's been a, a, a whirlwind 19 months and especially the last sort of six months where we had sort of optimism and then we had Delta sufficiently killing that for a lot of people. Uh, and I wonder kind of... Wow, you guys had optimism? <laughs> <laughs> there was a glimmer. So where are you these days? Oh my. Well, everything was canceled for me and I was doing before this, right before the crap show started, I had just done my first residency as a playwright, not as a composer lyricist. So I had a project that was scheduled to workshop in Minneapolis and New York, and I had three trips that I canceled to Seattle, where the Bobs used to be, and New York and Chicago, where I was doing house concerts and teaching master classes and everything that makes up the tapestry of what I do. But what I do is music and theater. So there is no, there's no B. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> They're each other's B. You know, I mean, you know, I have some side hustles that I don't enjoy and also that shut down hmm. so it didn't really work right now i am what i call a cautious cannonball and i am accepting most jobs that i can accept in terms of live performance i'm doing some classical singing in los angeles but it's very limited i actually do i sing high holiday services for instance happy rosh hashanah to those who celebrate Indeed. and that's not happening this year for so many classical singers i usually sing alongside people in the la master chorale and that's not a thing for many people i have a one-off on Cole Nidre this year. I managed to get that, and I got to select the quartet, so I was happy about that. But that is, we had one rehearsal. It was distanced. It was not masked, but there is going to be no congregation, so we're going to be live streaming it, which I'm very happy about. I've done outdoor services. I've done outdoor concerts. I did my first outdoor solo show last week in someone's backyard with a masked paying audience of about 35. Five-ish. So yes, I'm trying to proceed as if there is life and I'm sure there will be at some point. It's really difficult. During the pandemic, I taught online. I taught songwriting online and I did some performance coaching for kids in New Jersey. And I actually did get some writing done, but it was all despite initial massive personal circling of the drain yeah <laughs> well so i was gonna ask you if if oh, go ahead. by creative the damper that you had creatively on the public performance stuff if that also created a damper for you on the more internalized creative stuff the creation the writing the things that you could conceivably do in a solo manner most definitely i mean because what we all do 
no matter where we do it or how we do it, if we are music or performing artists of any kind, it is a collaborative art. And that is not just with people that we do the art with, it's with an audience. That is a collaboration. And if you're not having an audience, why, how is it even a performing art, A? <laughs> and two, you know, Zoom stuff, I'm so glad that we had Zoom so that we could connect with each other on some level, but I totally hated it, and most people that I know hated it, even though I probably did upwards of 50 shows. And that could be guest spots, solo spots, panel discussions, whatever. But the truth is, I don't want to see anyone when I'm doing a Zoom show, because they all look like that, like they're watching TV, because they are. Right. <laughs> and it's so annoying. And of course, for someone who does, some of my stuff is comedic, so that's not going to be a thing. And yes, I'll talk with people on the chat, but it just, I'm, it was terrible, yeah. frankly. And I have my hats off to anyone who had to figure out how to do this with kids, in school situations, I just talked to one today because I'm going to be doing some outreach when I do the Bethany thing, and it's going to completely change because these kids haven't sung for like a year. And what I had hoped to do with them would be, which is what I normally do in master classes, is work with them at a performance level and then discuss what is presented. But right. there's nothing to present right. at this point. So, you know, I said, look, I'll meet you where you are. What can I give you that'll be simple and that we will all get something out of? And because, you know, there's no point otherwise. Yeah. So my hat's off to all music educators. And it's just frustrating as hell for everyone. And if anyone tells you that they're OK with it, <laughs> I would find that highly suspect. Uh, I would say, okay, and how much are you drinking? And how much are you... Yeah, no, it's been terrible. Yeah. And, and for everyone at every phase, whether you're new to this, whether, you know, you're someone like, you know, Matthew Price, who has a lifetime of awesomeness in the creative arts ahead of him, or you're someone like me who's let's say not 45 even and this is what i do not 45 yet is what i hear you saying i love you uh, <laughs> but this is what i do and this is what right. i've done for my life i'm not going to law school right right exactly Catherine. you know and it just stopped yeah to amy's point Catherine, about working with kids and the frustrations with that how how has this cycle been for you because you do a lot of working with kids but that's been really tough it seems like well i'm in a very different situation because i'm located in shanghai and so the COVID situation here is kind of non-existent to be honest i've been really really, really lucky. They've contained it so well that we've had in-person singing for the last year. Yeah, I know. It's pretty insane. But for the first semester during the pandemic, it was, as Amy was pointing out, I don't. she said, I don't know how teachers taught it remotely. I was having to teach choir via Zoom and it was impossible. I mean, it's impossible. And these poor choir directors are feeling like they have to put out these virtual choir videos because that's what the popular thing was 
today and a year ago. And it's all smoke and mirrors. And it takes about 100 hours at least per video. And it's just pure insanity. It's pure insanity. And I'm in a lot of different groups where the choir directors are saying, please, 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 can we just stop with the virtual choir videos? Because it's so much work. And truthfully, it is smoke and mirrors. It really is smoke and mirrors. It does not reflect truly what's going on because of all the behind the scenes tech things that are involved to produce this video. But I've been very, very lucky. So I'm probably the last person that should be asked because we're business as normal. We're meeting in person and I have two acapella groups and one corral group that is uh, accompanied and concert choir. And uh, we're business as normal. We're performing. We have lots of different things coming up and we don't even have to sing with masks on. I mean, it's so well contained here in China. It's like COVID never happened here, really, truthfully. So what do you feel like directors? Because I think there's a, a widespread sense of frustration about the virtual choir videos and about how if we peg it at 100 hours of production, you know, 97 of those aren't singing. <laughs> aren't, you know, a lot of it is the peripheral stuff and the technology stuff. So in the absence of that, what do you see as being strategies for reaching kids with music right now? I mean, if uh, absent being in China. Uh, Right. If I weren't in China, what would I be doing? I would be pulling my hair out, to be honest. But that's hard to say. It's hard to reach students through a computer screen, to be honest, at any age, whether they're 7 or 17. So I don't know how the teachers are doing it, to be honest. If it were me, I would meet with the students individually, not just as a group, make sure they're okay, check in, ask them what it is that I can be doing better to better serve them. But honestly, there isn't much that I think we can do as choral educators to make it easier. I mean, the students are checked out. Just like Amy mentioned before, it's like watching TV. They're checked out. I had students tell me that when they first went virtual, they figured out a way to, because the teachers would ask them to be on video the whole time. They figured out a way to freeze frame their face and loop it so that it looked like they were on video because they were doing something else. It's like Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, very Ocean's (laughs) Eleven. And so it's, yeah, it's just musically, it's so hard. And the other thing about Zoom, which I don't know if you guys have come to find this out, is a certain frequency level, you can't hear it anymore. So I also, part of my job title at NYU is I teach private instruction. And once it hits a certain note, it cuts out. The frequency won't, you can't hear it at a certain level. And so once it gets too high, and when I say too high, I don't mean really high. I mean like, you know, maybe like, half an octave above middle C. It just cuts out. You cannot hear it anymore. And so to give proper instruction via Zoom is impossible as well because it's it's not safe. You can't hear the student. You can't see them. You don't know what they're doing physically. It's just kind of a mess. <laughs> and and really persisting the ongoing harassment of the second Sopranos everywhere. So I, <laughs> I totally get that. So Matthew, how about for you at the college level? You've been back, what, about a week or so. What's the situation at Towson and what are you seeing in terms of kind of the experience right now with groups on campus? Are you able to have them? I guess would be the first thing to ask about. Yeah, so this is our first or this is going to be the start of our second week back. And it's very strange because we've been on, you know, virtual the whole past 18 months. And Towson has put into some, Towson has required some things like we're requiring um, everyone to be vaccinated or to have a religious exemption. And so that's like a good step towards maybe being maskless eventually. And we were going to be a maskless campus up until about two weeks before 
before school started and Baltimore County offices said that they're going to mandate masks in offices and so the university followed suit. There is no capacity limits currently in um, any of the rooms so we are still able to meet and I've asked all my group members to buy singers masks so that they'll be able to actually you know sing without it you know sucking in or whatever so we had our first rehearsal last Thursday and it was very refreshing to actually sing with people because we haven't sung really together in like 18 months yeah what was that dynamic like after being apart for such a long time especially for I imagine you have some members of the groups who have never been in together in person with folks right people you may have recruited during the away season yeah it's very interesting because we over last academic year we took in six new people and they had never sung with us really in person i believe that we had only sung together like maybe once for our icca submission video and we sang in a parking garage and we only had that one rehearsal so it was it's very interesting especially since we're going into our current audition season we're looking at taking maybe like four new people on top of these six new people that are basically new and have never done any new in-person stuff and so it's like half our group is completely new and is starting off. The nice thing about it is that since we were doing virtual videos and stuff like that, they learned to be a little more independent and learning their parts on their own. And so I can maybe expect a little more from them instead of having plunk out the notes like I did prior. So that's a bright side and silver lining to the situation. But it's it's very interesting. Will that expectation be raised ongoing now? I mean, is that that the new baseline, do you think? Yeah. My group, um, my college group has grown so much over the pandemic. Like we, you know, released two, you know, singles and music videos. And I think that we're starting to see ourselves as a more professional level. And so I think that, that the standard is there to learn your music on your own and everything. And so I'm hoping that we can keep up with that. Yeah. Blair, how how are things right now in the barbershop world, both from a sort of macro BHS level, but also from the district level and courses and quartets? I mean, sort of top to bottom, it's been a rough time. And there's also been just a lot of kind of uncertainty, it seems like as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, in 2018, the Barbershop Harmony Society decided to open its membership to people of all genders for the first time in 80 years. So lots of people have joined and have yet to attend an event. Oh, right, of course. You know, if everything got canceled, they weren't able to participate in a district. So we have new female members who have been just kind of hanging on for a few years because they're chomping at the bit to participate and become more involved, and that opportunity just hasn't come up. And then we had to cancel our international convention for the first time in our entire history and and then we had to do it again and just this fall we almost all of our districts were planning to host their normal district convention and now i i believe only five have not out of 17 districts have not yet canceled and from my understanding they they're all in areas that are either very high vaccination rate or very low covid cases <laughs> oh <okay>. so <laughs> i thought you were gonna say very not, high vaccination know, rate or very Florida, low so. vaccination rate so that yours is better for sure <laughs> Right. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think, you know, the BHS's official policy has been to, you know, we're a global organization with affiliates all over the world. So the policy has been, you should follow the CDC and local health official guidelines where you live. But I hear through the grapevine of groups that are getting together and singing, and they're all kind of taking different approaches, and some are masked, and some are not, and some have a vaccination requirement, and some don't. And every once in a while, we'll hear about somebody went to rehearsal, and now six people have COVID. And I am, personally, I'm longing for more of a free sharing of information, kind of a networking. I, I 
wish that when these things happen that people, I think maybe there's a little shame associated with it. So we don't hear those stories, but I'd like to know, you know, if six people in your chorus got COVID from a rehearsal, what protocols were you taking? What's your space like? Not to be punitive, but so we can learn. And then we can take those lessons and go forward and apply that to other places. And, you know, on a macro level or on a micro level, I think it's similar. My quartet, I remember when COVID, the week that we really realized what this was going to be and seven shows got canceled that week. And so our quartet, our policy in the past had been that we pay for our own flights in advance and we get reimbursed. So that's just gone. And, you know, I I think a lot of people are feeling this fatigue of getting our hopes up and thinking something's going to happen and then having it taken away. And it's just emotionally, it's very hard and it's harder in our community. What BHS has done is tried to lean into how can we add value in other ways? So this last summer, they did a really cool legacy quartet contest and they played videos of lots of awesome quartets that never won a gold medal. And then members got to watch all that and vote for the greatest quartet that never won. That was like one of my favorite barbershop experiences of my life because all of the members who are still alive came on and watched the contest and you could be in a room, in a Zoom room with the guy who never won, watching him watch himself from 1982 or whatever. And those kinds of things have been really special. And in a way, I think the community is strengthened by having those experiences as a result of COVID. But of course, we all would just prefer to be singing. Of course. Amy? Yeah, I just wanted to speak to the whole thing of stuff canceled. I'm not sure if it's, I think it's better to at least be in the position now to be making plans and adjusting because now we know they could be canceled. So at least knowing that is better than what happened, which was like, boom. So there is at least that. I mean, you know, I have a bunch of stuff that I'm I'm going to New York in two weeks and I have a bunch of stuff that is pending and stuff that might happen and stuff that is happening, but I know that I could get there and, you know, we're going to do our testing and stuff. I have to test, even though I'm both vaccinated and boosted, you know, we have to test to go into this residency and I'm not sure what's going to happen if we go into this school thing that we might do in Ossining. I don't know if that's going to happen, but at least I am aware that it could be canceled. It won't make me any less pissed off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but at least my expectations will have been altered yeah and i have and you know in terms of pissed off i started this thing absolutely furious and i'm i'm still always at a low simmer at this point just because at least you've moved down to a low simmer i mean that's at least something right yeah right but i'm from new jersey so i I can't help but think you know okay free throat punches to anyone who isn't vaccinated by choice you know i'll even throw in a no i won't throw in a cd actually it's just ridiculous to me and we just got the boosters because my husband and i just flew and we knew we were going to be in a senior community at the place that we got to and we were like well it's just appalling to me that if you have the opportunity to be as protected as you can be and protect others as much as you possibly scientifically can, yes, stuff can happen, but why wouldn't you take that opportunity? Yeah. It is just beyond me. I do not understand it. And I, it is preventing so many people from getting back to any sense of normalcy and especially people like us, Yeah, you know, but 
God, kids. You know, I can't even imagine having kids in this right now, how stressful that must be. <laughs> I mean, my friends with kids, you, you don't see them because... Right. They're sheltering in I place, basically. It. Yeah, exactly. I'm, Blair, you were going to say? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I've noticed, at least in the barbershop community, which I think tends to lean more conservative in, in many ways, maybe politically conservative and also conservative in the sense of wanting to conserve and preserve ways of being and traditions within that community. And there's so much pushback about, can we please just have these events and let us decide for ourselves if we want to go and take that risk? And, you know, if I could just, if, if I could just say one thing to all these people, it would be the faster, the fastest way for that to happen is for everyone to be vaccinated. And it, we just, it will not be having these huge scale events in the way that I think our members are craving until we can at least have that baseline of protection. And so I just would urge if anyone's listening and on the fence, like if you want to sing again, there's a real quick way for us to move in that direction. That would be for everyone to be vaccinated as soon as possible. Absolutely. And on that note, we'll be taking a short break. And on the other side, we'll be talking about things as we had alluded to before about affecting your ability to plan and how the pandemic has impacted that. In addition to talking about elements of how as groups, these folks have hung on and maybe even been successful in this new area. So stick with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. Did you know that many of our shows are available as podcasts too? Nearly a dozen different acapella podcasts can be found on the Acaville Podcast Network at podcast.acaville.org. You can even sign up for the combo feed and you'll get the latest episodes of all the Acaville podcasts in your podcast app right when they're fresh. From acapella to competition countdown to the spotlight and recording acapella, there's always new acapella content at podcast.acaville.org. And we're back with episode one of season two of Polyphony. We're speaking with Blair Brown, Amy Engelhart, Catherine Gervin, and Matthew Price. And here is our host again, Aaron. Blair, you mentioned before the break that there are some districts that are still, at least for the moment, continuing to move forward with things, and, and certainly everything is subject to change. But I wonder, I guess, what are you seeing at the district level and at the chorus and quartet level about who's surviving, who's hanging on, who's maintaining some sense of community? Are you seeing some patterns of who's kind of riding out this in the barbershop world better than others? Yeah, I, what I've seen is the choruses that have a really strong community vibe, like they're meeting on Zoom every week, but it's not. And I don't mean to disparage actual singing and rehearsing on Zoom meetings, but the sure. groups that I see being really successful are the ones that are making it community-based, familial, fun. There's a trivia night. It's not all let's stare at a Zoom and try to break out into sectionals for 90 minutes. And so those are the groups that I see that seem to have their chorus culture still in this really healthy positive vibrant place is they're they're trying to make it about is everybody doing okay like as people not just let's learn a bunch of songs for the show we may never get to do which I think it burns people out really quickly and we do see like a huge variety of there are choruses that are just still not meeting in person at all we have choruses that are masked we have choruses that have vaccination requirements from what I know of these barbershop districts that are at for the moment planning to go forward with fall conventions normally in the BHS you would compete 
and then you would go with a certified judge in to receive an evaluation, which would be like a big coaching with your chorus or your quartet. So I think that kind of stuff is not going to be happening. They'll judge you and then they'll meet with you on Zoom later and tell you, you know, give you that feedback. So, but the people that I see thriving are taking the music part a little less seriously and making sure that we're just all mentally and emotionally okay with each other. That's who I see out there just still having a fun time. Right. <laughs> Catherine, how about for you with with kids? How can you kind of make sure that kids are still having a fun time to the degree that they can with all of this and staying as healthy as possible through this era? I mean, absolutely. That's a challenge. And that's why I mentioned earlier is to check in on them individually. I agree with Blair wholeheartedly. When I was still having to work remotely with students, again, I'm in a very different position than most choir directors. And when I was working remotely, there was definitely a lot more one-on-one check-ins to make sure students were okay. And then, yeah, we did, I guess Netflix has this group join-in. And so we would do group movies together, Disney movies, things like that, where you could just join in and you could talk and chat during the movie and yeah we're not singing but again it's it's smoke and mirrors you can't have sectionals or group rehearsal where everybody's you know delayed it's impossible and so as Blair mentioned just trying to check in with each individual student make sure they're okay I do think that for many of these students if not all of them the performing arts is their happy place and so you try to preserve that in any way that you can and even if that means just coming together as a community as Blair mentioned and just and just hang out together on Zoom, ask each other how you're doing on Zoom, watch a movie together on Zoom, because we all know it's impossible to have a real group rehearsal on Zoom. So anything you can do to preserve that community and preserve that trust and just that well-being is really in the best interest of everybody. But it's, it's yeah, it's, it's so hard. I don't know how the teachers have done it for over a year. I did it for one semester and I was pulling my hair out. I don't know how they've done it for a year and a half. Kudos to them because it is so challenging to come up with new ways to inspire kids when you can't do what you really want to do, which is sing together. Yeah, exactly. Matthew, your groups seem to have come through this era pretty successfully and are sort of growing and thriving. You talked about in our last segment. What's the key to that? What's the secret to that? Obviously, we're in an era now where... You know, we maintain a, a sort of a loose database here at Acaville of collegiate groups around the country and around the world. And that database is getting thinner all the time right now. The direction is not up. And so I wonder how you're hanging on and what you're seeing as keys to keeping that going. This is a difficult question to answer because this has been like very challenging. Like this has been something that I've been having to like push us through because not only are all of my members burnt out because we're having to, you know, meet on Zoom every week and stuff like that, but they also have to do that for 12 hours a day through sitting through classes or whatever. And so it can be hard to maybe convince people to come to like a Sunday, you know, Zoom rehearsal or meeting where we just talk. But I think the biggest key to it is to have tangible things that you can achieve, even if it's difficult to plan and putting all your heads together and being like, okay, well, if we can't perform in person, maybe we can record a album or, you know, a single and make sure that everyone gets tested the week of and quarantines or Maybe we can't sing in person, but maybe I can pay my friend to video edit for us and we can create something out of it. So I think it's like living within your means and try to make the most tangible things happen that you can. Because I know a lot of at my university, none of the other acapella groups and there's three others did anything over the past 18 months and their numbers have 
declined to almost like three people per group. And it's very upsetting for those groups and stuff like that. And so I think it's just a matter of like holding on to that hope or whatever, that there will be a light at the end of the tunnel and just keeping your head up as much as possible. Yeah. Amy, it seems like for you as someone who does this to eat and make a living, the problem has got to be sort of even more in focus in a sense. And I wonder kind of how you, you know, you've talked about having lots of opportunities in the hopper with the understanding that some of them may not happen. Is there a technique to doing that or to making sure that you always have sort of an A, B, C, D through H plan? How have you come through this as well as you have? I collected unemployment. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what everyone did. Exactly. And in California, that was a mess. Yeah. But my husband did it too, because he's in the film industry, but he's in the creative end of it. But there's, I hadn't collected unemployment since, God, the early 90s. Right. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I had absolutely no qualms doing it. And between the two of us, we were, we were fine. It, it was just like, you know, it didn't help with people some people's attitudes about that. And the California system was pretty messed up, especially for mixed income earners, which is what they call you if you have both W-2 and 1099 income, which as a musician, it's almost all 1099, but I had the fortune, thank God, to do a, a major gig in 2019 and get some actual money from it. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was enough to qualify because when I applied for unemployment, California was so messed up. And you would think that a, a state that like thrives on the creativity of freelancers and whatever, no, they weren't accepting any 1099 income oh. to determine your benefits, which is ridiculous considering that if you have 1099 income, you pay quarterlies or you pay at the end of the year. Exactly. So I've paid into the system for 30 years, but yeah, it was crazy. But luckily I had enough to get something and then enough to get the PUA money or what, you know, whatever they gave you. Right. But then the extensions would happen in the current extension. You can't qualify for because they're still basing it on 2019, which makes no sense at this point. So all of us who did our taxes for 2019, thinking it, the, the pandemic in 2020 was going to end. Right. You know, so so those of us independent artists who got all of our expenses in and, you know, cut cut everything in and and then that also worked against us yeah yeah because they judge your net not your gross so it, it's it's just been it's been a circus of fish. but again you you always have to check yourself when you say these things because we're here we didn't get sick. We right. have friends who got sick. I did know three people who died, and they were healthy people of varying age groups, and this was early in the pandemic. You know, gosh, I'm sure I know 50 people who've had yeah. it. Yeah. Because it's like, who do I know? I know mainly people in big cities, and before there was this vaccine, you know, and I do know people with breakthrough cases. They're mainly educators or people who just were stupid, made one bad decision and exposed themselves knowingly. But it's it's been difficult. But I actually want to say to the, speak to this community idea. Yeah. I'm a member of several different organizations, both in L.A. and New York. And one of them in New York is a female composers, musical directors, arrangers for theater group. It's called Maestra. And what they started doing was having monthly check-ins. So there's about 90 of us or something. And it was just, hi, how are, how is everybody? Mm -hmm. 
anything you want to say, anything you want to add. And then they'd have guest speakers and guest lecturers on topics that were of interest to us and would have been of interest no matter what. And then they started having technical workshops, which was a cool idea, where if you're a member, they're either free or you can pay what you want. And Maestro's a, a 501c3, and they did get some grants before this happened, so so they did have some funding. But these are the people who do the stuff right. and weren't working right now, you know, like Emily Grishman, the Broadway copyist. Mm-hmm. She gave a whole finale workshop for advanced finale work users. Or there's one on orchestrating for small band, and or there's one on vocal arrangements, or there's one on something else. So you still got the sense that a community was there and also learning together and of course we all checked in on each other and it was a good resource if you needed to do anything recording wise because we all do so many things and or know people who do Mm -hmm. so this database grew and grew and grew I'm now apparently the head of the Southern California chapter yeah and (laughs) but you know me and Congratulations, question mark? Thank you. I'm wearing my crown right now. Excellent. But, you know, it's like me and the, the woman who is currently the associate conductor at Hamilton at the Pantages are running this group. And there's nothing actually happening. But, you know, we got on and had a hang. And that's pretty much what's happening. But I have to say, it's that was good. And friends that I knew in New York would get on and have these, like, one of them had this thing where he would have people from different parts of the country having completely different experiences on. And he'd invite, like, six people and have, like, a salon-type thing where we'd all, like we are right now, just talk. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. It was fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, you try and say okay, I'm still here. I'm actually connecting with people all over the world, which is kind of magical if you think about it. It's still kind of magical. But you take your hope where you can get it. And as long as you can be connected in some way, that has to be good enough. Because, you know, what's the flip side? What's the alternative? I know that for me, when, when I was circling the drain mentally, I finally at one point just went, you know, not doing anything is not an option anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But I had that, you know, and then I just started doing stuff and it's perfectly fine to do stuff and then take a day to breathe and watch Law and Order marathons (laughs) or whatever it is. For me, I watch Law and Order because it makes me feel like someone's in charge. (laughs) Like someone has an eye on what on justice and like payback and, you know, someone's taking care of stuff. So if I fall asleep, it's all right. I'm sure Um, I'm sure Mike Mike Post appreciates that as well. I'm sure he does. But yeah, it's just a question of everyone is different. Yeah. And no one has ever handled anything like this before. Right. So everyone is coping differently. Everyone has an idea of what makes them comfortable. You know, I think that is the protocol now is, are you comfortable if we go out to a restaurant and we blah, blah, blah? Are you comfortable coming over? Are you comfortable, you know, first of all, are you vaccinated? Because we don't let anyone unvaccinated in this household. Second of all, are you comfortable if I don't wear a mask in my own house? I'm comfortable with you. I know you're tested on a set every day or whatever, or where you work or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's just no one knows. So I think we just have to all be respectful of each other. Although I have trouble being respectful of certain people and their choices who endanger other people. And I don't care who knows it. And, you know, that's that. Yeah. 
Yeah. We're just trying to find whatever community and hope we can. That's one of the reasons that when Amanda asked me to do this, I said, of course. So, Catherine, how do you feel like we can keep these balls in the air moving forward for kids, particularly? You know, we've done this now for 19 months. And as you mentioned, there are ways of kind of keeping these connectivity pieces and connections and community things going. But that also doesn't really address the musical development needs and doesn't really there's a lot of things not happening during these 19 months. How do we figure this out next? What's next here? Hmm. That's such a tough question. Well, first of all, it really differs by where you're located and what state you're in. You know, there are different policies based on cities, right? Not just states. And so, I mean, first of all, just make sure that you're following the city guidelines that are presented for you and do the best that you can. Because I do know that there are some groups in America that are getting together and singing finally, and there are other groups that cannot sing in person yet, you know. And as mentioned previously, I know California, I mean, I'm from California, it's still kind of a mess. And so if I were in California now, I would just wonder, oh gosh, can we get together? It's such a hard question because it's so open-ended. It just depends on where you are, what the guidelines are, what's safe, what's not safe where you are. And then as, as Amy mentioned, just what everybody's comfortable with, because you have some students and some parents who are saying, please take my kid, you know, <laughs> get him out of the house. And then other parents are like, no, we have grandparents living with us. Please don't take my kid. And so there's just, it's, that's a really hard, it's, it's hard to answer that question. So just once again, do the best that you can to just meet with each student, check with each student, do what's safest for you and for your community of singers, make the best decisions for you and your community of singers, depending on where you're located and what's okay right now where you're located. And, you know, it's just, uh, there's no way to really answer that. China has really locked this thing down. I mean, we, our phones track everywhere we go in China and we have to show a code just to enter a building so they can see that we haven't been around anybody who's been exposed to COVID. And then that's okay. They're fine with that. We're good to go. We don't even have to wear masks within Starbucks. I mean, we don't wear masks anywhere. We don't, we don't wear masks even in the taxis. I mean, there's, it's like COVID did not happen here. It's crazy. And so to kind of piggyback off of what Blair said earlier, honestly, if you guys could just, you know, if America just could get it together, (laughs) lock it down, get vaccinated, everybody could be like China and singing again. I've just been really, really lucky. So to kind of circle back to answer your question, just do what you can where you are. Do what's best for your students. Do what's best for you. Keep yourself and your students safe. That's more important than singing. That's more important than anything. And just do what everybody's comfortable with and, and try to try to maintain those relationships because that's how you keep the community going. As Matthew said, so many students have dropped out of his collegiate choir groups. Keep those relationships going because those relationships are the foundation, not the singing. It's those relationships. And that way you can come back to the choral group when it's safe to sing again. Yeah. Well, we'll come back to this show shortly. Stick with us. On the other side, we'll be talking about issues like recruiting and membership issues that the groups have and triggers for go and no-go decisions in terms of future events. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Justin Glodish works at the intersection of acapella and education, and where those two worlds meet is a combination of learning and engagement that can hook students into a lifelong love of the arts. Hear Justin talk with some great guests from both worlds every week on the Aka Education podcast, played here Wednesdays at 9 p.m. East, 6 p.m. West, and Sundays at 10 p.m. East, 7 p.m. West. Asian Pacific listeners can hear it Thursday at 5 p.m. Tokyo time, and Europeans can catch it Saturdays at 3 p.m. London time. 
time. And we are back. We have with us in this episode of Polyphony, Blair Brown from VHS, Amy Englehart, who is from the Bobs and is doing so many singing, songwriting, and lyricist things at the moment, Catherine Gervin, who works with middle school and high school students, and Matthew Price, who is from Towson's Untitled and Inside Voices. Here again is Aaron. Thanks, Rachel. Matthew, I wonder, on campus, you're doing more in-person rehearsal kinds of work. What does that mean about performance? I mean, what's sort of the culmination of this? Because environments, it seems like, that allow rehearsal aren't necessarily the same ones that allow big picture, in-person, everybody in a room to watch music performances. Yeah, so it's kind of unclear at the moment what that means for us. I'm also a music major, and so for my voice lessons, for example, I have to wear a mask. But when I'm singing in master class, since I'm on a stage and I'm you know, at least six feet away from another person, I don't have to wear a mask, but everyone else is masked, including the pianist. Now, they haven't given student organizations no information regarding concerts and everything, so we're under the general assumption that we'll just have to be masked during our concert, which will be in December, unless the university changes their mandate. But if you're outside, you don't have to wear a mask. And so if we want to sing outside um, on a patio or Freedom Square or whatever, we can and not have to wear a mask. But at least indoors, that is still a requirement. Harder to do that in the middle of December, I imagine, if you wanted to do a winter concert, however, I would think. Uh, Of course, yeah. How, if those plans change, I mean, it seems like part of this is about staying nimble, right? Because things are changing all the time. How does that work for you? I mean, if you spend the term building a rep of half a dozen tunes or whatever, and then suddenly a couple weeks before concert date, it becomes a no concert date. What then? What's the, what's the contingency planning process, I guess? Yeah, that would definitely be difficult, but that's why we are trying to like just plan as much as possible because even if our concert date doesn't work, like we are still hoping to go to SoJam and, you know, other events such as those. And so, you know, at least it wouldn't get rid of everything. And, you know, we could also potentially make sure because all of my group members are vaccinated, I'm pretty sure. And so if we get boosters or if we all get tested and quarantined, then maybe we could record something on an off campus area and have a virtual concert, which isn't ideal, but, you know, it'd be better than all the hard work going to nothing. Yeah, for sure. Blair, how do you feel like this is going to look in the spring, for example? I mean, it seems like the fall, the writing is sort of on the wall about a lot of these events and, and a lot of kind of get togethers. What are you thinking about around the spring for this Well, of course, we all know it's like impossible to predict what's going to happen with COVID. So there could be like another variant or Delta variant could be even worse or so that's hard to say. I think BHS's perspective throughout this has been to be as prudent as possible. So there's a plan, then there's a pivot plan, then there's a pivot for the pivot. And, you know, all those things are in place. And for example, I'm in the judging program right now to try to become a certified judge. And there's lots of requirements to go to contest and practice judge. And so as of now, we're told, please be planning that for the spring. The fall is waived for you. Don't worry about it. But in the spring, you should be looking at which districts are convenient for you to attend. And I personally will make all this. I have a baby. So I'm vaccinated. I'm very healthy, luckily, but I'm not going to fly to a hot spot to practice judge and come home and possibly give COVID to my child. So it's just going to vary for everybody. And this is where venue issues, I think, matter more than I had ever thought about before. So for example, our next 
convention that we would have, you know, God willing, would be, it's called Midwinter. It's in January and it's held in Pasadena this year. So LA County is going to have its own rules about how many people can be in the venue at once. And there will be a certain cap on, we need to sell a certain number of tickets to make that a financially viable event, right? Mm -hmm. So every event will have to be looked at through the lens of like, where geographically is this? What's going on with COVID right there? What are the regulations in that area? And, you know, this has been kind of touched on a little bit, and I'm not speaking on behalf of BHS just myself, but to me, I love barbershop. It is like my life. It is the thing that I love the most. There is no barbershop that is more important than people being safe and healthy and alive. And I can't believe that that's even kind of been up for debate for some people. And I just find that I find that very short sighted. We have to all get through this like physically okay. And that's just the main thing. So I personally on the board, I'm always advocating for uh, the most cautious choice. So Let's hope stuff happens in the spring, but if not, it's all good. We're going to pivot and and try to add value in other ways through like educational opportunities like our virtual Harmony Universities and things like that. Are there resources that you feel like quartets, choruses, districts need that BHS or the broader community can be providing that maybe aren't yet in the mix or things that would help? get through this time? You know, something that's unique about BHS is that the the population tends to be older, right? Generationally. And so when COVID happened and everything suddenly went on to Zoom, we're asking a lot of people that are not maybe super proficient at technology to suddenly be super proficient at technology, or you don't get to engage with your chapter anymore. That's like your local community, even where you live. You don't even get to see like Bob, who you sing with every year for 30 years, unless you want to figure out Zoom. You don't get to see your friends. Right. anymore right? right so bhs right away kind of saw oh this is a big hurdle for people so they started cranking out a lot of virtual education like we will talk you through that you we will have a chapter health person contact you and kind of talk your group through that so i think more things like that and when we talk about all these virtual choirs i have my husband is good with things he'll help me i'm okay with things imagine if like the way to participate in your ensemble is to constantly do virtual things and it terrifies you and you don't like it and you're not comfortable with that technology now you're left out and so I think that to me is a big I hate to use the word delta but it's a delta in our you know ability to support people and be there for them is that technology cannot be we have to make the extra effort for people for whom that feels like a a hurdle right now so that they don't get lost. Amy, for the independent artist, I mean, you talked about Maestra and your estimable leadership role in it. And now I I wonder what other resources are or should be available to help folks like you through this period. Well, you know, there's a lot of different funding sources that independent artists have access to, and Maestro was great in letting people know what those are. The Actors Fund, for one, is something that I think Huge. everyone in every major cities has access to. It's not just for actors anymore. Exactly. Well, actually, it's not. It's for anyone right. in any performing arts industry. And in fact, when I went back to grad school 10 years ago, I joined the Actors Fund because I applied for one of their scholarships to help 
with grad school and I got it. But, you know, I had to intend an orientation and the people I met there were animators, scenic artists, you know, makeup people, writers, actors, yeah. singers, blah, blah, blah. They're an amazing organization and I know they have branches in every city and they're people who, you know, I was fortunate not to need their emergency services, but I know some people who did and boy, were they helped. Yeah, yeah, They'll right just there. pay your bill right now if you're that desperate. So there's that. There was so many things like the drama Guild had had a bunch of uh, things too. And, you know, I also found that people in general are great. And if you reach out to someone, the odds are that they're going to try and help you and give you what you need. And it's just a question of saying, can I call you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally. And groups of singers that I know would be like, hey, let's have a let's have a hang. I also I'm a member of this sight reading group out here with Rene Ruiz, who you might know, who founded it. Yeah. And he started it when he was living in Florida. And during his toxic audio days, yeah. he's a big fan of Keith Johnson, and all those voices of liberty charts. And he has a huge library of stuff. So before the pandemic, we would all get together and just called crunchies because we like to sing the crunchies and we would invite a ton of people and it's la so that means about 25 percent of them will come or you'll even right. hear for them <laughs> and you know what i'm talking about <laughs> and we just sit around in someone's room and pass out the charts or or they'd be on ipads or whatever and we just sing it down without playing the chart and then after we were done we would play the recording of it which is super fun and there's lots of um drinking involved but which we call sight reading juice because you know uh, everyone's in tune with sight reading juice there you go so we used to do that before and this time we just kind of broke up into smaller hangs Mm. online and there'd be like i don't know six or seven of us just with our sight reading juice not sight reading but you know just talking to each other and saying how much we missed being a part of it because you know when it comes right down to it we can all do what we do in our small little rooms even if we contribute to i did like four or five virtual choirs but when it comes right down to it you know nothing beats being in the middle of a sound and being surrounded by that sound and disappearing into it and I felt that way in New Jersey All-State Chorus yep. in 1982, and I feel that way today. Yeah. I don't care if I ever sing a solo again. Yeah. It is, for me, it's it's, it's just becoming one with everything, and we're all doing it, and we're all buzzing at the same time. And nothing beats that, yeah. even, you know... I do all my stuff here, you know, layering my own self or whatever. And, you know... G- Yippee for me. <laughs> it's just not no. It's just, it's just not the just same. Not, no, yeah. it's not. Yeah. And but you'll you'll find this amusing. We actually once everyone was vaccinated and before Delta started, about ten of us who were fully vaccinated got together in a room with charts. On fully, we had some snacks set out, but we were you know. We read some charts down, some Voices of Liberty charts, and we had every part covered, and we just sat in the room and did it. And it was like, it was exhausting because this, just the stress of this takes so much of a toll on us. We don't even realize it. And it's funny because I took out my phone and I recorded, like, I guess you'd call it a tag, Blair. It would like the last four measures of some Keith Johnson, I don't know what, what chart it was. And because it felt so amazing in the room. And then I went back and listened to it. And I was like, yeah, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was like, you know, we've all not been doing this in the room for so long that we felt great. And it was, 
I mean, if you heard it, you'd be like, wow, that's pretty, you know. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, mm, mm, yeah. sharp on yeah. that uh, <laughs> tenor. You know, and it, it just made me laugh so hard because that's not what it, that day was it's not, about. Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's never what those are, sessions are about anyway. And, right. you know, it's about, a, it's about a bunch of geeks sitting around sight reading and getting off on it, which yeah. we all do. Yeah. But it was like, you just can't replace that. And I, I don't think you should replace no, it. No, there's no substitute. Like an, I, think you're, I think you're exactly right, for sure. Um, I'll, I'll wait for it. If it takes years, we'll all still be doing it. Yeah. And I was just talking to some barbershoppers in Texas, actually. You probably know Val Clark. And that whole gang. Yeah, I did a project with, with some gals from the Rich Tones and also some people from the Santa Monica thing with Laura Palace's group. So I'm very, Santa Monica community something, I don't know. I don't know what it's called. But Laura Palace runs it. And I know a bunch of barbershoppers out here too. And I had actually hoped to maybe join them at some point, but I guess it would not be now. Yeah, just. So Matthew, I wonder from your perspective on the collegiate side, uh, sort of a similar question. Are there resources that you feel like would really help you and your group make it through this and other groups like it that are struggling? I mean, you know, the groups with three members that are barely hanging on. I mean, what do they need? What can help them be, be better or just be? Yeah, totally. I'm actually trying my best to actually kind of reinvigorate their groups. And usually our groups would do separate auditions and everything, but over the you know, pandemic, I've gotten together with the music directors from each group and we're going to create a acapella council, which has already started and it's its own student organization now. And, you know, that way we can all support each other and have joint auditions instead of competing for different auditions. And they're like a preference list. So like if I really want to be in this group, then if I'm at the top of their preference list and they're at the top of mine, then I go to them. And if not, you're not ending up groupless, you know? And so I think that's a way that we can really promote that we're all one thing and that that's a cool thing. And from like a upper thing, I just wish that there was more communication from the university about just things. There's not as much transparency as I think that there would be, should be. And I understand why, but that's the only frustrating part is that we don't know at the drop of a hat that we could be back online. And that's a fear in a lot of students' minds. So... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Catherine, do you feel like the experience of teaching kids is going to change when there's a vaccine available for kids? Or is that not going to be sort of the silver bullet that we all would love it to be? Ah, that's tough. I, I think yes, because I think parents in general are going to be more comfortable sending their kids out there if the, all the other kids and everybody else involved is vaccinated. As Amy mentioned, you know, some people are more comfortable, most people are more comfortable knowing that everybody they're surrounded by is vaccinated. And so it, it yes, to a degree, yes. But also there's this, this level of inclusivity and equity and how do we meet if one student isn't vaccinated, right? And, 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 yeah. And parents have decided they don't want the student to be vaccinated. And of course, then you have to think about, well, it's obviously not the student's fault that they're not vaccinated because their parents don't want them to be vaccinated. So it's kind of a slippery slope. But yes, I would say in general, I think people are going to be more comfortable knowing that kids are vaccinated and come together. But I do think there will be outliers involved with that, just depending on, again, the state and the location and political views and, and all of that stuff that goes into it. 
it. And just being aware that the kids have no say, you know, whether they're vaccinated or not, that's ultimately up to the parents. And so, you know, it can get sticky, I think, for probably some educators, how to navigate that and navigate how to handle that properly. And that will be its own sort, you know, own sense of just dealing with that once they have to cross that bridge. But certainly I do think overall, once students are able to get vaccinated in general as a large population, I do think it will get better. But like I said, that, you know, there's still going to be challenges that have to be navigated once that does occur. And and equity issues. That's an interesting observation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure that we solved all of the pandemic issues that are coming up, but we had a really awesome discussion with our panelists today talking about our pandemic update. I want to say thank you so much to Matthew Price from Towson's Untitled and Inside Voices, Catherine Gervin, who is director of middle school and high school choirs, Amy Engelhart, from, who is Amy Bob from The Bobs, also singer, songwriter, lyricist, and playwright, and Blair Brown from BHS, board member at large and a member of the Double Date Quartet. And next week, we will be hearing about new school year kickoff strategies. So tune back in with us next week.